Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. And hello and welcome to Soho Radio's Composers on Film. I'm your host, Gemma Dempsey, and this is the first edition of 2022. I hope you had a very nice festive time and are looking forward to this year with a... Well, hopefully, you know, cautious optimism. Certainly, that's what I'm going with. Um, I've opened today's show with a cue from the fantastic TV series called Guilt. And it's composed by my guest today, Arthur. Thank you so much for coming into Soho Radio. Thank you for having me. I should say Arthur Sharp. Now, there was so much going on in that cue from Guilt. I can't wait to talk to you about it. But the format of the show is we're going to chat to you about some of your musical favourites and loves. And then we'll go into listening to some of the cues from the many projects you've worked on. Uh, listen might be familiar from uh, about your work from, as I said, Guilt or Flowers, which won you an RTS award and Ivan Novello nomination. So congrats on that. Thank you. Uh, Ghosts and uh, right out now uh, is Landscapers, which is an extraordinary TV series and The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne in a cinema near you. So go check it out. So, as I said, we're going to be listening to some of your choices and you sent me very kindly a really diverse and interesting selection. And the first one is by the French composer Georges Delarue. So I was curious, how did you come across him and his work? Um, I He does a lot of Truffaut, Francois Truffaut films. Uh, this one actually isn't from one of those, I don't think. Uh, but I think uh, Will, my brother, who's uh, directs and I've worked with a lot, um, was sending me his stuff uh i think in when we were sort of starting up on louis wayne um and it, i think there's a um, i think what he does really well is there's kind of a simplicity he kind of he creates these amazing kind of soundscapes out of the strings but he's not trying to do anything he's usually not trying to do anything too mad or this way or that you know as as a music fan i sort of love in equal parts music that just throws the rule book out the window and does you know things that you just have never heard before and so on but equally when you hear something that sounds so familiar or sort of the style feels so familiar but it's still managing to kind of speak to you in a way that you haven't reacted to something before I always think that's sort of equally impressive that you can you can sort of take the same ingredients the same ideas that have been used thousands of times before but still bring something new and something uh, in whatever way it may be that sort of moves you um so this one uh from agnes of god i haven't actually seen that film it's it's purely as a piece of music i've um i sent that to you uh i just came across it when i was kind of going on a delarue binge 
And it was the one that, like, really stood out and kind of made me go, oh, wow, he's kind of got everything right. You know, like, each new part is brilliant. The, when the strings come in and the choirs come in, that, like, really sort of gets right, you know, right to the heart um, of me, I guess. Uh, but equally, I'm, I'm a sucker for melodies. And there's a, you know, it's, it's led by a lovely melody played on, I'm not sure what it is, to be honest. It's either an oboe or a core on Maybe I'll be reminded when I hear it again. Um so yeah, I think that's that's basically how that came about, and sort of it's you know of his really sort of vast um, you know range of work. So I just remember that one really jumping out at me. So yeah, when I was looking up about the film because I saw it many years ago, and first of all when they talked about Georges Delarue, Le Figaro called him the Mozart of cinema, mm-hmm. and apparently he scored over three hundred and fifty films, which is wow. quite a few. Um, but yeah, I had to be reminded what the film was about. Directed by Norman Jewison with uh, Jane Fonda and Meg Tilly, and it was about a nun giving birth right. to a dead infant and claiming it was a virginal birth. Right. <laughs> so if that doesn't have you looking for it online somewhere to check it out, I don't know what will. So let's listen now to the piece. It's actually called Symphonic Suite for Chorus and Orchestra, Part 2, Version 7. really beautiful and it is really going to contrast with the next cue that you've got lined up from for us from the film Monos which I'd not heard about before but I am familiar with the composer Mika Levy uh, or Levy we're not quite sure at least I'm not quite sure how to pronounce I keep checking and it's hard because when I look on YouTube there's very few people actually put it out there so anyway do let me know if you want to contact Soho Radio, please do. Uh, director's Alejandro Landers and it was winner of a Sundance Award so you said you've seen it Arthur what was it like? Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite mad. It's, it's very original. It's, uh, it's sort of like about these kind of child soldiers off in a remote mountain or something and kind of left to their own devices. Um, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Mika Levi, Levi, Levi. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I think everyone kind of knows under, under the skin, under, is it under the skin or under my skin? I've completely under forgot. The under the skin. Yeah. Uh, um, obviously when, you know, that came, that came out, the score was kind of groundbreaking. Uh, and similarly, people are quite familiar with Jackie, but this one was, I think a little more under the radar, I think probably because of, you know, what the film, uh, the film is just a little more, a little bit more low key, but the music is, it's so bold, uh, and it's just not like anything like it's not like anything I really ever heard. I don't think um, as as uh, Mika does so often, uh, but also it's just not what I think anyone would ever have expected for, based on what you're actually seeing in the film from the visuals and the kind of tone. And I think that's really brave uh, of um, of Mika Levy, but also of the director. I think both of them have sort of combined to create something that really jumps out at you. And I think that's kind of why, why it really stuck with me sort of long after I watched it. It was, yeah. Because sometimes when you have such an original approach, it, t- it can take you out of the film, but you're saying actually it really worked together. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think uh, yeah, um, you don't want to be so sort of distracting or jarring that, as you say, it takes you out of the film. But I think 
I do really enjoy a score that grabs me and I notice it. And because, you know, you remember it, like the much older films that there were, you know, the scores would often be quite bold. It would, it would be like, this is the piece of music. This is the style we're going for. And you'd really remember it. And I think, it, you know, um, not across the board at all, but the people are leaning more towards things that they feel comfortable and safe with. And I think it's, it's, it's really refreshing when you see something that is, that's taking a risk to, to that extent. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically always all for it. <laughs> I would rather a few that went wrong. I'd rather more that went wrong than, you know, than seeing it sort of go the safe route that was sort of all right. So take, take chances. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hear the uh, queue is actually called uh, Lobo E Lucy. Loboy Lady from the soundtrack to Monos by Mika Levy, I'm going to go with. And um, she also has a career, uh, Mikachu, I think was uh, the name. And so I was wondering for you, your background in music, you also have a band called Arthur in Colour. And which came first? Was that first before you got into film composing? Yeah, Arthur, Arthur in Colour is, I guess, defunct right now. Um You'd be, be busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of happened quite naturally. But um, I think originally what I sort of wanted to be when I was growing up was like, you know, uh, playing guitar, s singing in a band kind of stuff. Uh, so that was Arthur in Colour and that was kind of the playing the, the, the pub scenes around London to, to nobody. Um, and then I think it just happened quite naturally because Will uh, started from I know, from like his days at university started using stuff that I was writing and playing around with, um, and so you know as as he grew as a writer director and as he started getting more you know more of his stuff started coming out and so on he would come to me to begin with like ten ten or so years ago he had a film called Black Pond which he co-directed um, with Tom Kingsley who actually did the first two series of Ghosts as well so. Um, uh, and that, that there was kind of a, a group of us. We were kind of like a music team of sorts, I suppose. And we were, added, uh, we were kind of contributing to a soundtrack more than a score, which was the style of music I was doing back then. But I think it just it just one naturally took over the other around the time that um, Will wrote Flowers. That's when he kind of, you know, that's the first time I was properly scoring something on my own. Um, and I think it just it just grew from that, I think. Um, but yeah, I like I, I definitely miss, miss the sort of uh, that kind of stuff. I, I don't think I'd write music the way I did with Arthur in Colour would probably have evolved quite far by now because of mm. all the scoring work um, and I definitely love how much better scoring has made me at sort of understanding and learning about music and trying to compose and sort of thinking more outside the box and so on because it's quite easy to kind of fall into comfortable ways when you're going for a style and you sort of think of that as being your style um, yeah I've gone on a bit of a tangent there and I've lost myself. No, that's it. Well, we were just talking about how you can graduate from being a musician into doing work as a, a solo artist and then into soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So, yeah, I think it, ha it happened quite naturally. So, um, as, you know, I look back fondly on it and don't want to ever say never. It'd be, it would definitely be nice to get back to it. But right now, yeah, I'm concentrating on scoring, I think, because it happened. 
Uh, the next track you've got for us is uh, Fawn by Tom Waits from his album Alice. And I hadn't seen or heard from Tom Waits in a long time. Um, I'm hoping he's still productive and still pushing the envelope. Um, I, I don't know. Musically, I don't know. I saw him. In, what did I see him? I think he's been in a... I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was Licorice Pizza. I saw him in Licorice Pizza the other day. He appeared. Um, but I, d- I don't know musically. I'm not like an expert on... Uh, Tom Waits, I think I have a couple of his albums. Um, uh, this one, I should probably say, in case anyone's sort of waiting for his gravelly yeah. voice, is actually an <laughs> instrumental piece. Um, that I th- one of my friends uh, sort of told me about it. Um, he, I think he watched quite an early draft of The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne um, that I'm guessing we might be talking about later a bit. Uh, and he just sort of said the score, which hadn't been finished at that stage, but it was probably fairly advanced. He kind of said, this kind of reminds me of that. Um, And I think I just remember when I first listened to it, just being amazed by, um, first of all, just that lead line. I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of all violin harmonics that kind of swoop and so on. It feels so delicate and fragile, but it's played so well um, that it just, I don't know, it sort of really grabbed me. and I think it was that it was that kind of the way it glides up to, and down to the notes that that's sort of what made him say, "Oh, the stuff you've been writing reminded me of that because there's a lot of uh, musical saw and theremin in the Louis Wayne school." Um, yeah, so I think I think there's just something about that piece. There's a, there's a you know real simplicity to it, but at the same time, it feels really original. Um, and I think it's because of just the sort of setup of the you know the instruments that he's he's decided to sort of gather for that. Um, track is you know quite um n- no one thing is is sort of jumps out at you but together it feels like really like oh that's a really lovely sort of sonic texture that doesn't feel like i've heard it before mm. um also uh, also in sort of discovering that uh track we were kind of looking at the youtube comments discussing what that instrument might be the, the thing that turns out to be violin harmonics and discovered an instrument called like the stro violin or something stro violin which is quite funny if you look it up it just looks like a kind of violin with like a foghorn or something attached to it i don't think i think or like you know the the sort of conical bit of a foghorn like that's the sort of bit that's amplifying it um which is quite funny i hope maybe i'll try and use that one day (laughs) it's something (laughs) well you also whet my appetite to find out more about this particular album and uh i read that it was originally done as an avant-garde opera directed by robert wilson for hamburg's uh, talia theater and it was based on lewis carroll's obsession with alice little who of course then inspired alice in wonderland and then they had a really great quote quote from tom waits it said alice is adult songs for children or children's songs for adults it's a maelstrom a fever dream a tone poem with torch songs and waltzes, an odyssey in dream logic and nonsense. Wow, that's that's an amazing description, and also quite uh, appropriate for um, Louis Wayne as totally. well. Totally, that's yeah. exactly what I thought. Say, so, spot on. All right, let's listen to it. Thank you. 
Yeah, he's really lovely. Um, and now we're going to listen to Birthday by the Sugar Cubes, which I... I'm not sure I actually have heard this particular piece. So I, I would then watch it on YouTube and it's shot in Reykjavik, which is, I've had the fortune to go to a few times. So yes, you, um, I'm glad I looked at that and it's a really cool track. So how did you come across it? Um, I honestly, I don't know. Um, like I've, I had, I have been listening to Björk quite a lot recently. Um, you know, I've always been aware of her and, um, you know, kind of in, in awe of what she does and again, have an album or two of hers. Uh, but I've never like delved, really delved into her sort of body of work, uh, like I've started to recently. Um, but I think the reason why I picked the sugar cubes, I think I just came across it. Um, I think, Back when MTV2 existed, I think they used to have um, a thing called like 120 minutes that would kind of be on between 1 and 3 a.m., which uh, I would often just have on. Um, and I'd kind of discover a lot of things that way, a lot of, thing, like, a lot of uh, bands and artists that I'd never, ever heard of. And I think it just came on then. And, and I sort of was completely unaware that, uh, you know, Björk had this existence before she became, uh, you know, a solo artist. Um, but, yeah, I just, I really love this you know it's got it's kind of a mixture of like this kind of a, a simple it's kind of the groundwork of it feels sort of simple but then there are little noises and sound effects and sort of um stuff that embellish it that make it sort of feel really fresh and then obviously at the, on the top of it you've got Björk's like amazing vocal amazing vocals especially in the chorus I think it's the chorus really that really like jumps out at me I don't think there's anyone else in the world that would be able to make the track what it is um, and it is what it is because of the way she sort of, you know, the way she kind of growls and hits different notes and and so on. There does actually exist um, an Icelandic version of this, which I I like. Um, denied which version I should send to you, um, but I went with the English one in the end because that was that was the order I discovered them in. Um, but if you're a fan of the English one, I like I, I strongly recommend you seek out the Icelandic one because it's it's sort of a bit rough around the edges. Um, I think maybe the English one is m- maybe like the one that they sort of did for release mm-hmm. and the Icelandic one might have been like a quicker let's also get this this one down we are Icelandic after all kind of thing and it's yeah it's really like um you know it, you can tell it's a different take and even the choruses are a different take and there are little other sort of little uh details and so on that kind of crop out um so it's quite a nice I don't know which one I actually prefer anymore but it might be one of those where I prefer the Icelandic version now but only because I sort of heard the English version uh-huh. first um, which you often get with like live tracks versus album tracks with people as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check it out, and I'm going to have to find out whether she's smoking seagulls is a direct translation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to it. having some debate in the studio but is it smoking cigar- seagulls or cigars or cigarettes but uh, I, I was probably you know going for the seagulls because I live by the seaside and I'm <laughs> surrounded by the things all the time um, but now let's go to the last track in your selection which is by PJ Harvey and I have to say when I started playing this I wasn't looking and I didn't immediately think it was her yeah I think that's um that's kind of what I like so much about her is she I um love albums and she really like she was an action she's an album artist she reinvents herself for each new thing um i could have picked like 
any any number of her tracks. There are so many. I'm sort of in a bit of a thrashy mood, so sort of wondered about going for something from Rid of Me or something. Uh, but I went for this just because I remember when White Chalk came out. Like it, I when it, when I first listened to it, I didn't like immediately go. Um, Oh yeah, she's nailed it. But it was the one that kind of gradually, sort of got more and more under my skin and grew on me and sort of climbed up sort of the charts, as it were, in in you know of my own sort of rating of her different albums and so on. Uh, so I think that's why I just I sort of quite find it it's really original and it's always really um, like exciting when something just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. I think for you and you keep listening. And this is kind of very much from my sort of era of. Uh, when I was younger and I was a, an insomniac or nocturnal or j- just a teenager, whatever you want to call it, and I'd kind of go to bed at four and then listen to two albums back to back and then eventually fall asleep when I should should be getting up, really, kind of thing. And um, so I, th- I, th- I definitely wanted to delve into that era of my life because it was it was a huge part of what made me love music, I suppose. Um, and um, even though it, it maybe what I was listening to then is... Uh, different in in some ways in style to what I sort of got to now. Although actually saying that, White Chalk has got quite a cinematic feel to mm. it, a sort of minimal but cinematic feel to it. Um, yeah. All right, let's give it a spin. Tree, I try. 
beautiful, but time is fast approaching and I want to get at least a half an hour of music of, uh, that you've, of cues that you have done and scores that you've composed. You are listening to Soho Radio's Composers on Film and I am talking to the composer Arthur Sharp. Now, Arthur, you've got a lot going on um, that's currently out. Landscapers we're going to come to, as well as The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, which I just saw last night. It's absolutely charming. I recommend it. But the first cue we're going to listen to is... Oops, banging the top of the deck there. <laughs> Uh, we're going to listen to Guilt. Now, that's how I first discovered you. I, I know you've done a lot of work before that. As I said earlier, you worked on Flowers and Black Pond and Ghosts, but Guilt was my entry point for the work of Arthur Sharp. So uh, how did you get to work on that particular series, which I believe is still... No, I don't believe. I know it's still on the BBC iPlayer. Um, the director of the first series, uh, Robbie McKillop, uh, I have met him... Uh, he's he's he was close friends with the editor on Flowers, and I think was just down in London and staying with her on a Flowers like cast and crew party, and just and came along, uh, and so I just met him through that, um, and that's how it kind of came about. He's um, he's really excited. He's really fun for a composer to work with because he's he, you know he's always keen to make sure that the kind of sound, the score, the sonic soundscape, and so on is has a definitive character you know he absolutely doesn't want to um you know things to sound like you've heard it before and so on so he was really like he really pushed me uh you know I found myself often writing and very often like first one or two drafts I'd sort of think like oh, I've done a, I've done an all right job there send it over and he'd kind of be like no not quite and then I'd be like, as I was, I'm like, oh, I bet he's wrong. I've done, I've, I've, I've got this spot on, come on. And then you change it and go, oh, right, I understand. And like with him, sort of every time I discovered uh, kind of what he was going for because of the way he really pushed me, because he's such a big fan of music as well. Like the soundtrack, you know, score aside of Guilt is really important. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people really rave about the choices. And that was, you know, maybe not all him, but Oh, like ninety percent him, maybe. Um, I don't. Want, I, I actually don't know, but I know he had. He played a huge part. Um, I, actually, I was actually speaking to him like literally an hour ago or so before mm. I, I came here because I'm hopefully um, back working with him in a couple of months mm. uh, on another TV series. So that's quite exciting. Um, so yeah, that's how it came about, and it's yeah, it's really nice. And also because it's um, it, he's pushed me to sort of go outside my comfort zone, and I think it's quite different to a lot of the other stuff I've done in the past and from the perspective of guilt in the future. Um, yeah, so it's really exciting. So it's more unexpected, and even the TV show itself, is, you know, you start watching it, it just seems these two brothers, and then suddenly all hell breaks loose. It's, again, the unexpected. Expect the unexpected, both musically and drama-wise. Let's listen to the cue. It's called Gingerbread Footage.
going on there? Are you playing all these instruments? Uh, n- no. Uh, like that, I think there probably will be some guitars and sort of, but a lot of guilt was kind of making effects out of instruments um, and then sort of melding that with kind of synths or synths that maybe not quite sound like synths and so on. There will probably be some violin and stuff in there. Um, and and the, ver- the very first track you played, you can probably hear a lot of kind mm. of um, slightly avant-garde kind of violin techniques. It's a player called Will Newell, who's, who's just a, you know, also very great at normal violin and viola, but is also really exciting. And, you know, I can sort of go, let's, let's you know, let's do some mad stuff for a bit. And he'll be like, what sort of things do you want? <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, stuff like that. Let's try this as well and so on. And then we, I'd, often I'll take those sounds away with me and see how to weave them together to sort of create a piece uh, so yeah, there's de- uh, there's definitely some of that in there. And now we're going to listen to a cue from Flowers, which is written and directed by your brother Will Sharp, and stars Olivia Coleman, which garnered you an, an, a Royal Television Society Award for Series One and an Ivan Novello nomination for the second series. Yeah, yeah, it's quite it's quite a weird uh, introduction to the world. As I said the first series, kind of the first time I was doing some scoring something on on my own. Um, uh, but yeah, I, it's. Uh, it's definitely sort of got a place sort of you know quite an important place for me uh, because of what it was and how much I threw myself into it because I was very much um, new to the world and and kind of realized that's what I wanted to do Um, and yeah it's it's uh, fortunately went down really well it's um, very much got its kind of own character it's eccentric but it's moving i suppose um well I, I think many people found it moving um uh yeah and then this particular track um the reason why i chose it in the end is mostly because uh it sort of comes at a really big moment in the second um series at the end of the fifth episode um and also because there's some wild manic screaming in it uh that was done by uh, my sister-in-law, what? Will's partner, mm-hmm. wife. Is that a sister-in-law? I, was, mm-hmm. I get mixed up. Uh, who plays Amy, uh, uh, Sophie Martino, um, And I remember leaving her in my bedroom with the sort of mic set up and just going like, just get, just, just do lots of screams and going and go mad about it. Um, and, and she did. Uh, and, she, and I was like, yeah, we'll leave you to it. And we were kind of sitting downstairs and hearing these acts and just thinking, what must the neighbours be speaking? And, and actually a bit nervous that uh, they genuinely might call the police because it was, you know, so erratic and so on. But in the end, it sort of ended up being as it did. And I think it sort of played such a huge part. And, and it was sort of a, a lot of the other vocals because in this scene, you're actually watching Amy's band, the, the Pink Cuttlefish Orchestra, I think they were called, um, playing it but a lot of the vocals um actually my my partner did it but the just that lead line for this track uh was so fun i think that was really important because i i think she was probably in her, that headspace already when she was you know doing those maniacal screams uh yeah all right let's brace yourselves ladies and gentlemen here we go <laughs> <laughs> 